We're continuing on in our series on the names of God, and there's power in the name of God. And so today what we want to do is we want to focus in on a really powerful name of God. It's actually mentioned 66 times in the Old Testament. And um, I think it's going to have uh, something for each of us this morning as we look into the Word of God. And so I have a question for you. Have you ever been wounded? I mean, wounded emotionally, physically, uh, relationally. There's probably somewhere in your life, if you're in this room and you've lived with people, you have been wounded. That there's probably some part of your life, some part of your your thought process, your your emotional uh, health that you look at and go, you know what? There's some place here in my life where I'm not healed. I'm still struggling, I have panic attacks, I I get into these thought patterns, I assume the worst. I always tell people, if you assume the worst, there's a part of your life that doesn't have healing. And so what happens for so many of us is we get caught up in our woundedness, we get caught up in our, our lack of healing in our lives, and it begins to really dictate how we live. And so today, what we're going to look at is we're going to study the name Jehovah Rapha. That, that name literally means Yahweh who heals. And what's interesting about that word, Rapha, it doesn't mean like stitched back together. What it means is to be made whole, to be made new. That, that God's healing is not just like a band-aid. It is complete newness and wholeness. And it is available to us in this life. A couple years ago, more than a couple years ago now, I was playing football and uh, like backyard. So this is not smart, okay? And I was being blocked by somebody and this guy about 200 pounds was running uh, this way. And so I went to go stop him while being blocked and he ran into my arm as it was stretched out. My arm dislocated out of the back of my shoulder. So it didn't like fly out. It went out the back of my shoulder. Immediately I knew. Have you ever had like that sharp pain and then everything goes numb? That's what I had. So I was like, I got up and I was like, all right, guys, I got to go. Sorry. I know the game's not over, but I'll see you later. And they're like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm out. I just walked out. Right. I was driving a stick shift car at the time. So I got in my car. Um, I was like 19, 18 years old and um, drove home, got home, walked in. My mom was there. She's a nurse. And I said, uh, hey, I dislocated my shoulder 100%. And she's like, well, you know, take off your shirt so I can look at it because she couldn't get the sleeve up. And I was like, I can't move it. Okay, so there's something seriously wrong here. So she's like, all right, let's get into the car. I'll drive you to the ER. And she drove me up and, you know, they have the convenient drop off for the ER now. So as I was getting out of the car and I turned, my shoulder relocated. Wham, went right back. I was like, we are good. Like, I'm better. I can move my wing. It might have been clipped, but it's still working. And she goes, no, you got to go in there. We got to, like, figure out what happened. Well, it turns out that I tore 85% of my labrum in the back of my shoulder. And the problem with that is your labrum is this muscle that keeps your shoulder in place. And so uh, what would happen is like when I was sleeping at night, if I rolled over weird, my shoulder would dislocate. If I like sneezed funny, wham, I'm like, I'm out. Like, I don't know what happened. And so we go to this doctor and he's like, we're going to have to do surgery. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. And I was like, is there anything else we can do? And he goes, okay, if you don't want to do surgery, you're going to need to do rehabilitation. 
And I was like, well, can I do that at my university? I go to school in Virginia. He's like, yeah, I'm, we're going to give you a plan, and you can work with physios up there and try to get your shoulder working. And so for about a year, I went to physical therapy, and like it was the like stuff that made you feel so weak, right? Like I would, they would put a soccer ball on a wall, and I'd have to hold it like this, and then they would poke it. And I was trying to use my shoulder to stabilize the ball. And I mean, my shoulder was on fire. Or they would have me lay down on a table with my face down and I'd have a two pound weight and I would have to lift it out. And I mean, my shoulder was so bad. And so for a year, we did that. And they were like, we think you're pretty good. We think like it's as good as it's going to be without surgery. And I was like, great. Okay. So what I decided is for the next year, I didn't lift a single weight. Right, because who wants to be the guy on the bench press and your, your wing goes out, right? Like no one wants that. And so for a year, I did not lift weights. I stayed away from it. And what I realized as I was thinking about that this week is for so many of us, we want healing to be instant, but it's a process. There were some things that needed to happen in my shoulder that the only way that it was going to happen was time. Because even if I got surgery... I'd still need to rehab my shoulder and I'd still have to work through this process. But what I realized for so many of us is we think healing is instant and what it is, is it is a process because not only does God want to bring you healing in your life, he wants to help you understand how that wounding happened. He wants you to understand what is going on in that process of healing. And, and the, what happens for so many of us is, is now I protect this shoulder because I know what I did to injure it and I know what it took to heal it. And so now I protect it. So part of my healing was not just getting better, but learning to take care of it. And so today what I want us to see in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, is this story about Israel who has just left Egypt and they've been enslaved for years and hundreds of years and generations of people have been enslaved in Egypt and they've been ruled and they have been mistreated. And how many of us know there's probably some wounding in the life of Israel? There's probably some distrust. There, there are things going on. There's memories of what had happened. There, there are scars on their backs from beatings. I mean, they were mishandled and mistreated for generations and God is bringing Israel out of their wounding and their trauma, and he's going to bring them into this new place. And what we're going to see today is not only that God heals us, but there's a process by which he helps us heal. He opens up some things for us so that we can not only heal, but heal properly. He gives us the space that we need. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Exodus chapter 15. If you don't, don't worry. The words will be on the screen for you. But many believe that this is a song that's sung in the Hebrew. I can't sing it in the Hebrew. Otherwise, I would do that for you, and it'd be really cool, but I can't, okay? But this is likely the oldest part of the book of Exodus. This is a song that Israel sang that became an anthem for Israel to remember the goodness of God in their life. So Exodus 15, starting in verse 1, it says this, I will sing to the Lord. And remember, L-O-R-D, all capital, what is that? That is the name Yahweh. That is the name that God gave for himself in the burning bush. This was the first way that God revealed himself by name to people. It says this, the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. What Israel is remembering is when Egypt was pursuing them as they were leaving. 
that their enemy, the one who had wounded them, the one who had come after them, the one who had done so many things to them was pursuing Israel and they get to a portion of the story where they get to a sea that's impassable. How many of us feel like a little bit in this life that your wounding is always pursuing you? It's kind of always in the back door. It's kind of always right there. It's always right behind you, ready to pounce on you. And what we need to understand is, is if your first reaction is the worst thought, like they're doing the worst thing, anger, bitterness, strife towards the smallest things in the world, you're not responding to people. You're responding to your hurt. It's a great litmus test for us to understand where we really are in our life and in our healing with how we respond to people and situations in life. And so what happens here is Israel's beginning to sing this song, remembering who God is. Look at what it says in verse two. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Here's what we see in the very first part of the process of God being the God who heals. It is this, God will protect you. In verse two, what we see is he says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. And how many of us need to realize one of the most important aspects of healing in our life is the need for protection. Because if you're not protected, if you don't have a way to make sure that more trauma, more hurt, more um, moments of, of moments where you can become more injured, then healing is not going to take place. Some of us in this room are not healing because we don't feel protected. Like for me, the the most important thing for me when I first hurt my shoulder was I was in a sling. I was in a sling for, I think, two months just to make sure my shoulder wouldn't move. And what that protection did for me is it began to open up opportunity for me to begin the healing process instead of continuing to hurt my shoulder. Like every time I'd sleep and roll over, my shoulder would dislocate. I kind of was like back to one. I was back to the start. Like it was rough and, and it would be sore for days and it was a problem. And so let me ask us in this room, do you believe in the protection of God? Like for so many of us, Our wounding and our hurt is right there before us. And so we try to run, we try to get out of the way, we try to push back, we try to do all of these things when what the Lord says is in the midst of your enemy, in the midst of what is pursuing you, in the midst of what is trying to hurt you, God will protect you. Now, here's what that also means. It's a little scary sometimes, right? Because it isn't just God's protection is is getting you out of there. Many times God's protection is in the midst of the storm. And for so many of us, because we, we kind of panic and we get into fight or flight mode, we run away from the protection of God and we start to move towards other things that we think will be our defense. But how many of us know those things don't work out and they basically generally end up consuming us? For a lot of us, like to forget our hurt, we go to drink, we go to drug, we go to sex, we go to something like that. And then what happens? No longer is that now something that's helping us, it's now something that consumes us. It's now something that owns us. And what became our, what was our protector is now our enslaver. And what what I want to say here is like, yes, we believe in the protection of God, but believing in the protection of God and sitting in the protection of God are two very different things. To be still and know and to allow God to work out the circumstance around you 
is really important. And this is where faith is activated in our lives. The most important thing to remember is this, that God has you. And he's providing a space for you. And he's opening up peace for you in the midst of the storm. You know, we're from Florida, so we all know what hurricanes are. And so in the middle of a hurricane, it's peaceful. If you were able to ride out the whole storm in the middle of the eye, you'd be fine. I think for some of us, we need to think that God's protection is the storm is going on around us and he has us in the middle and we're protected. The moment you're going to get in trouble is when you try to run out of that. And so do you believe that God will protect you? Not only that, verse three, the Bible continues and says this, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Do you believe that God will fight for you? Do you believe in this room today that not only is God protecting you and he's not just defending you, but he's actually going to war for you, that he's actually going to war against the things that are against you, the things that hurt you, the things that that are harming you. But we have to remember that Jesus is a king and he is a warrior that fights a battle much differently than we do. Right, He came in, uh, we just talked about this at Easter Sunday, he comes in as a warrior king who is going to win a battle, but it's not against the Romans, it's against sin and death. And many times, the faith that we need to have is that God is going to fight the battle against the things that have hurt us to provide space for healing for us in a way that is much different than we would prefer. But he wins battles perfectly. How many of us in this room have tried to fight against the hurt in in the moments of unhealing in our life in an improper way? And all it does is compound things. It kind of like puts trauma on top of trauma. And what happens is it's like, man, in our wisdom, we thought this is the way to do this. And God goes, no, actually, there's a different way. I'm just going to ask that you trust me and follow me through this process. Do you not believe in this moment that God will fight for you? I mean, I love Jesus and like the moments where we see him as this peace bringing king. I love that. But do not forget that he is also a warrior king. I mean, I love that Jesus is looked at like so nice sometimes. Like he is. But the reality is, is he's not so nice to the things that are trying to consume us. He's not so nice to the things that are trying to kill the world. He's not so nice dealing with sin and death. He is a warrior king and he will fight for you. You only need to be still and know. So as we see in these very first two, three verses of the book of Exodus, what Israel is going to say is this. You are my protector and you are my warrior. Man, did you notice what he said? Chariots and the people driving these chariots. Israel was on foot. They had nothing. So you're talking like the, the, one of the most elite armies in the world is pursuing you with all of their weaponry, with all of their innovation, with all of their might. And all you have is a bunch of people who just walked out of slavery, probably not the healthiest people, probably not the strongest people, probably not the most trained to go to war. And what does God say? In the midst of what is pursuing you, I will protect you and I will fight for you. You know what's crazy about Israel? They got to a place that that's the only thing that they could believe in that moment. Because man, they got to this this place where there's a sea in front of them. There's nowhere left to go. And we've talked about this before. When you grow up in the desert, like swimming is not a sport that you learn. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? 
Israel had nothing. The only thing that they could boast in is the God who heals, is the God who protects, is the God who will fight for them. But not only that, I think what is so important for us in the process of our healing is not only to believe that God is a protector, to not only believe that God is a warrior and he will fight for you and he will will push back the things that are against you, but it's this, that God will show his greatness in your life. For some of us, like we need to see in the middle of the storm and we need to see in the middle of the hurt, the greatness of God on display. Not all these words will be on the screen for you, but just listen to how the song goes. It says this, Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. The greatness of your majesty, you threw down, uh, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. He's simply saying, by the way that you breathed, you split a sea. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted. And how many of us need to know this? The things that are against you will boast. The things that are against you, one of the things that they will do to you is lie to you and tell you how they are going to overwhelm you. They're going to take you over. There is no hope. And I love that this is included. The enemy boasted. I will pursue you. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. Verse 10, but you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And then this is where the seeing the greatness of God in our lives is so important. Verse 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was thought to be a God. He says, who is like you, Lord? Not the God of Egypt, not Pharaoh. He's not like you. You devoured him. Who is among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? What what Israel does and what Moses brings to the forefront here is in the middle of their pursuit, in the middle of their hurt, in their middle of getting to where they couldn't go any further, they saw the majesty and the strength of God for what God did in the middle of the storm. And how many of us need a little bit of hope in the middle of our hurt to believe that not only God protects you and that he will fight for you, but that his majesty will be shown and you can see him working in your life. Let me ask you right now, like where are you in the hurt of your life that you're getting to the point where you just maybe need to look up and see the majesty of God. You know, all those things that you used to be worried about that would kill you, that would harm you, that would overtake you, haven't. There are some things that we have allowed, but there's also things that haven't. All those times you worried about the worst, all those times your thoughts could not break away from the very worst thing happening, how many times has that happened? Is it plausible? Absolutely. But has the majesty of the Lord, the majesty of what he can do in your life been working out that the worst thing didn't happen? 100%.
Israel's still facing a really hard moment. They're still facing something that seems so insurmountable. But here's what happens. The goodness of God and the greatness of who he is can show up in your life. And if you can't see it now, then borrow where you've seen it in the past. I mean, we sing a song about this. It's pretty po- Do it again, right? I've seen you move mountains. I've seen you do all these things. I think you're going to do it again. Some of us in here need to look at the hurt because what bubbles up, there's, is there something that you believe that will never be healed? Is there, like, seriously, like, let's just be honest with each other. Is there something in your heart and in your mind, a moment that happened to you that you go, that's never going to get better? That's, that's, a, that's a sea that is insurmountable for me to pass. And so this is a burden I must carry for the rest of my life. Not according to Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who makes you whole, not just stitches you up. But it's going to take process. And some of us in here need to remember the greatness of God in the past to believe for the future. And borrow it. And listen, listen if you don't have that in your life, there's a lot of stories in here where we see that. Take from them. Take. Use their faith. Use where you see the greatness of God shown in their life. Use it. And you are not an exception to the rule. I know that we're told that we're exceptional in our culture. You're not an exception. The greatness of God can work in your life just like it did in Moses's. You're not an exception to the rule. You are a beloved child of God. And God's greatness and majesty can be shown in your life. We only need to look up and see. And so many times, the greatness and goodness of God is shown in the smallest of moments. A couple years ago, Kelsey and I were, um, we were getting ready to plant bedrock. And um, we had no money. We were so poor. And... Um, there's a morning where I had a meeting. I was going to talk to this guy about church planting and uh, I was getting ready in the morning and Kelsey was and Kelsey walks in and she's like, we've got a problem. And I was like, well, okay, what's the problem? And she's like, we're $225 overdrawn in our checking account. I think it was $225 and 14 cents. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I don't like I think our identity's been stolen. And I was like, okay, like, all right, let's, let's look into this. Well, what we realized is, is like I had moved money over to pay for my school bill because I was finishing my doctorate. By the way, guys, next week I defend my doctoral thesis. And so pray for me. Um, and then you got to call me doctor. Just kidding. You can still call me Blake. All right. <laughs> and so what happens is... Um, we realized she went and paid a, like the bills with the money that I had moved over for school. So it was just a miscommunication on our part. It was our fault. Some of us, like we do things and it's our fault. And we're like, God, why'd you do this to me? And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I think you did this to you. And so what happened is I left and I was like, oh my goodness. And listen, when you're poor, like real poor, $225 is a lot of money. Like that's enough to sink the ship. And so like, I'm frustrated and I'm going to this meeting to talk to this guy about church planting and trying to have this big vision. And I'm like, there's no big vision. I got nothing. So then during my meeting, <laughs> during my meeting, Kelsey texts me. She says, call me ASAP. And I'm like, oh no, when it rains, it pours. Does it not? And I was like, this isn't going to be a good phone call. And I like, I like looked at it and I was like, okay. 
okay. And I could feel this feeling of abandonment. I could feel this feeling of anger. I could feel this feeling of depression. I could feel this feeling of worry and anxiety. And the rest of the meeting, my mind wasn't there. So I get out of this meeting. Didn't go great. And then um, I call Kelsey on the phone. And she, I was like, hey, what is it? And she's like, hey, do you remember those three restaurants? Kelsey shoots photography, and for a while she was shooting for restaurants, like for competitions and things like that. And um, she'll say she's not a great photographer, but she's won national competitions, and these restaurants have won. So she's a great photographer. And so what happened is, is um, this company hired her to shoot these three restaurants that they wanted to put forward. And she's like, hey, I just want to let you know. And she didn't sound excited on the phone, so I was real nervous. She goes, "Um, they called and told me that we mischarged them for the photography. And I was like, okay, like, what's that mean? And she goes, they said that we mischarged them by $75 per restaurant too low. So they want a new bill to make up for that money. Because they, they said, like, we missed, like, we charged them too low. When does that happen? <laughs> and I was like, those three restaurants called and said that? So I, like, I'm in Lakewood Ranch, downtown. I run to the Starbucks. I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. Because I was like, I, if they're a mistake, it's their mistake now, right? And I started typing, and I, I type up this new thing. And before I got to the end of it, and I looked at the new bill, anybody quick math here, 75 times three, $225. And in the same moment of my hurt and in the same moment of uh, within two hours, I saw the provision of God. I just forgot the provision of the past. I always tell people, we got $225. We didn't get the 14 cents. I guess God doesn't pay tax. (laughs) And so um, are you believing that God will show his greatness in your life? Listen, you may say in this room today, that's a cool story, but that's a coincidence. You have more faith than I do. To believe that the exact amount that our account was overdrawn two hours later, three, this guy calls us about three restaurants that we undercharged. Man, you have faith. I just happen to believe in the God who is able and he's showing his majesty in our life. And you know what? So many times as we've been in moments where like we don't have enough and life is hard and, and we're trying to like figure out, are we going to gas the car this week? Or are we going to buy groceries? What are we doing? I've looked back to that $225 moment and I saw the majesty of the Lord in my life, which allowed healing. And you know what that healing produced in me? He's the God who provides. And so when we get in these moments now of like, how are we going to afford this? What are we going to do? Even in the church, all of this, and we're growing so rapidly and we're thinking about it. And I go, man, what are we going to do? And I just say, oh, the, the 225, the 225. Okay. All right. I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith because I didn't even ask God to fix it then, and he did. It was my fault. It was our fault. But not only that, we see that his majesty shows up in our life, but how many of us know that we don't maybe know the next step we need to take in our healing? Like, I don't know about you, but like, I know what, like where the horizon is, what healing looks like out there, but I don't know the path. I don't know the way to get there. Listen to what the Bible says for some of us. Some of us are not walking on the journey of healing because we don't know the way. Good thing we have a God who lights the way. Verse 12, you stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. Verse 13, here it is. 
in your unfailing love, you will lead. That word unfailing means that the love of God never doesn't produce what it is meant to do. It never gives up. It never stops. It's always moving and going forward. Here's how I want you to think about this. It's the love of God that lights the path. It's the love of God that lights the path for you and I where we are to go next. If you're not sure where to go in your healing journey right now, take the next step towards the love of God. Take the next step towards the love of God. I want you to think about it. It's like the illuminators on the airplane when everything's going bad and they light the way. It says the unfailing love of God will light the path of where you are to go next. And this is what this means. The light never goes out. That God will always lead you. Israel, I am sure, did not have any idea what to do. They're in the middle of a desert. They just got out of slavery. They're not a powerhouse. They're not an economy that does all of these things. They don't know where to go. And what do they say? Your unfailing love will lead us. Your unfailing love lights the way. But not only that, not only do we need to know and see the next step lit up. And for some of us, by the way, the whole path isn't lit up yet. It's just the next step. The next step that you need to walk towards your healing. The next step that you need to walk towards God's love. The next step. And so what happens for so many of us, we want the whole path lit up. But if God lit up the whole path for you in your healing process, you'd probably be overwhelmed. And so he's gracious to us. Some of us want to know the whole story. God's like, I'm not going to give that. You can't handle the whole story. You just need to take the next step towards what I have for you. But not only will his love lead you, but his strength will will guide you. Take a look at what the Bible says here. Continue in verse 13. Your unfailing love will lead them. The people you have redeemed, which means to save, what? In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Because where is real healing found for you and I in this room? It's not coping. It's dwelling with the Lord. It's being in the fullness of his love and understanding and dwelling with him in the richness of this life and being with him. And this is what he says. So he will light the path for you and he will guide you by his strength. So what does that mean? How many of us know you've been so scared sometimes in life to take that next step until someone who's stronger than you comes by you, puts their arm around you and says, let's take the next step. So what does this mean for you and I? God is actively working in your healing. He doesn't just say, heal. He's working. He's working in it. You're not alone in this thing. He knows you don't know the way, so he lights the path. He knows that sometimes we don't have the strength to take the next step, to believe and trust that God is going to meet us in that next place of forgiveness or denial or that place where we have to let go. We have to release something in our life. Even though it wasn't okay, we have to release it. And so what happens for so many of us is, is the, the fact that when you can't take the next step, have you asked God to carry you to it? God, I, I know the next step in this process, and some of you are so scared about the next step. I know. It's scary. When God says, forgive those who have persecuted you and come against you, that's scary. You've got to have a lot of faith to believe that God's going to work it out, and he is just, and he is righteous, and he will do the right thing. When you have to forgive yourself, stop holding everything over your own head and living in guilt and shame all the time. When you messed up last time because that business didn't work or that relationship didn't work, but you're called to this new one, but you're so scared to take the next step because what if? 
If you live in a what-if world, there's not a lot that's going to happen in your world. So maybe some of us in this room just need to admit it and just say, God, I'm trying to heal. I'm trying to move forward. And I, I see where I need to go. I know where that next step is. I just don't have the strength to do it. And the Lord doesn't look at you and go, you're so weak. Come on. He doesn't push you or kick you. He picks you up. And he'll carry you to the next place. And he'll move you forward in this life. See, his love will lead you. His strength will will guide you. But I want you to hear this next thing that is so important for us. Verse 14, it says this, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. Here's what I want you to hear. For so many of us in in this room, you're freaked out and you see the things that have hurt you. You know the hurt that is before you and it terrifies you. And this is what God says. I will terrify what terrifies you. I will terrify what terrifies you. Those nations, like, I mean, think about this. Israel's moving into this new place. They don't have an army. They don't have a weapon. They don't have anything. They're just these people who got out of slavery. They're just these people who got out of their hurt. And there are nations like the Edomites, the Canaanites, the Hittites. We went through all the ites the other day, right? Do you know how scary that would be? Do you know how scary some of this would be to look at this place and go, man, there are so many things and there are nations there that want to rule us just like Egypt did. There's enemies over there that want to rule us like Egypt did. And man, I can't go back to that. I can't do that again. This has been generations of my, my family's life lost to this. Man, I can't go there. I can't take this next step. I can't move forward. Why do you believe that the God who killed the enemies of the past will not take care of the enemy of the future? And that God will terrify the things that terrify you. I was talking to my kids about this. And um, I know some of you in this room are still dealing with this. You think that there's some under your bed and so you won't hang your toes over the edge because someone's going to grab you. You need to be free, Okay. My kids, I like that. Like Jude, especially, is right, right now. Like, there's something under the bed, and if I hang this little piggy over the edge, wham, I'm going under. And then his sisters don't help because they feed into it. They're like, I heard something creak under the bed, and he's like, ah! Right, he's scared. And then, like, the closet, right? You got to shut the doors. Ain't nothing living in there but clothes, Okay. You know the best way to deal with this is to turn the light on and look under the bed and face the thing that terrifies you. And this is the deal. If there was a monster under the bed, it's terrified by the light and it will move. Some of us need to turn the light on in our life and the light in our life is Jesus Christ. And some of us need to shine the light of Christ and say, come on in here, man. I need you to shine a light on that thing that terrified me and scared me so much. And you know what Jesus says? It's not so scary anymore, is it? Because it's lost all power. You ever been in a, a moment in your life where there's something scary happening at your house? It's always at night. You're always freaked out. There's like something tapping on the window and you're like, oh, right there, call the cops and you're freaked out. It's like, no, just go get a flashlight and go look because it's just a branch that's tapping on the window. And now what was a monster is something you laugh at. 
Some of us in this room, there's branches tapping on the window of your life and it's called your past hurt and you're so scared and you're freaked out that there's a monster ready to devour you in this life and the only thing you need to do is shine the light on it. And the light of our life is called Jesus Christ and he will terrify what terrifies you. And you know what's terrifying to the enemy is that you don't believe in the power that it has over you anymore. That in Christ, you're more than victors. That in Christ, you're more than enough. And that in Christ, you are free. But then it says this. So not only will God terrify what terrifies you, it says this. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until the people, your people, pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought, which means to save, pass by. And so not only will God terrify what terrifies you, but while the enemy is trying to come against you, God will hold back the enemy as you pass by in your freedom. It's not only just protection, but that God will have you walk in front of your enemy in your victory walk. Some of us need to look at the hurt of our life and realize that God is holding back the hurt and he's moving you past it. And you can look at it and you can be afraid, but the hand of the Lord is withholding it. Do you need to believe that today? Do you need to believe in this? You need to set your gaze and your eyes upon the goodness of God and not always looking back at the things that hurt you. We need to shine the light. We need to get ready. We need to move forward. And God is holding things back and he is overwhelming things that overwhelm us. And he is fighting for us. And his majesty is being shown and he is protecting us. And some of us, even right now, some of you right now are walking in your healing. You're moving forward in your healing. And God's hand is holding back your enemy and you're walking forward in front of them. And it says this, why? Why does God do all this? As we continue on, We'll we'll be done here in just a minute. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. What is he saying? You want to know where your healing is? It's on the mountain with God. Some of us need to realize in here. I know there's some people who like have all these fiddle leaves and all these kinds of plants, right? You know, plants will only grow to the size of the pot that they're in. And in order to see more life and more things working on in their life, you have to take the plant out of the pot that they're in and put them in a new pot. That's the imagery here. Some of you are planted in your hurt right now. Some of you are just sitting in it and, you know, like you're squeezed and there's no life left to give. God needs to uproot you because he loves you. He needs to clean off the old dirt, get the roots ready to go, and he's going to put you into a new place. And the Bible says that that new place is his inheritance, his goodness, and that you will live in the mountain with him. But here's what we need to realize. I'm sure it's not too fun for the plant to go from the small pot to the big one, even though it's the best thing for it. And some of us need to let go of the hurt of the past, need to let go of these things that overwhelm us. Because let me just tell you something, church, it's not doing you any good to hold on to it. Is it making your life better? When you just think about the hurt and think about the hurt and think about the hurt, how many of us go, man, thank you, God, for making me think about the hurt. Thank you, God, for making me dwell on this thing for six days and now I have heart palpitations. Thank you, God, that I'm terrified of people and I can't get in a healthy relationship and my finances are a mess and I can't put down the bottle and I can't get any sleep at night. So now I need all these sleep aids and now I need all this stuff. Thank you, God. 
What is holding on to all of this stuff doing for us? Nothing. And look, to receive new things, we got to let go of some old ones. Yes, bad things can't come in when your hand is clenched, but neither can good things. And some of us need to be uprooted and taken to the place because God will plant you in a place to thrive. But all of these things that we just talked about deal with us externally. But how many of us know the real healing that needs to take place is not in our circumstances and not just in our memories. The real healing that needs to take place is in our soul. This is where the Bible opens up and we see the name Jehovah Rapha first shown in the Bible. They get to this place called Mara, which means bitter. And when they get there, they realize it's just named. Like that's what they do in the Bible. The water there was bitter, so they just named the place this. And so they get to this place, they get out of all of their hurt, they get out of all of these things, they're going to this new place, and they, they're in a desert, and they get to a place where they can't drink the water. Look at what the Bible says, starting here in verse 23. When they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is the place that is called Mara. You're like, thanks, okay, good. All right, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? I want you to see something. They're triggered. I know that's a really popular word in our culture right now. That's what happens to Israel. They're hurt. Oh, hey, we've been under leadership before that. Did not have its best in mind for us. We're, okay, so what are we going to drink, man? We came out of this. We came out of all this hurt. Do you notice how Israel's response is the worst? To assume the worst, to be angry, to be bitter, to be all of these things. That tells me that Israel was not healed from their past trauma. And some of us in the room, were just like Israel. God leads you to a place where he's going to show his majesty in that place, but you get there and you go, well, what are you doing? Are you even there? Because you're not over the hurt of the past, so you bring the hurt of the past everywhere with you, and it's the lens through which you look at the whole world. It says this, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There's nothing super spiritual about this. God just did a miracle here. But I want you to notice something. The water represented the heart of Israel. What is God saying? I can heal your bitterness too. I can heal your hurt too. And there, the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them. And put them to the test. He said... This is really important for you and I to realize not only that God wants to heal your soul, that's what he represents in the filling of the water, in the the healing of the water is this. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. And here's the deal. There's a condition on this. God says, you want healing? You've got to follow the process. He just laid out the process. He just showed Israel the process. He just did all of these things. But if you really want to get healing in your life, you're going to need to follow the process of God. Why is that so important? It's just like my shoulder. If I didn't follow the process to protect it, to guard it, to do all of these things, to to heal it the way that it was supposed to be properly, and I just went and started lifting weights and did all this stuff, I would re-injure it. 
Some of us in here, because we're not following the process of God in our life and not following the decrees of the Lord in our life, keep getting hurt in the pursuit of getting better. Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone in here ever like, you, you, you didn't like the process, it was too long, it took too long, man, it didn't seem to make sense, it, it's just, just all of these things, and God says, you've got to follow the process. How many of us have been hurt in the process of trying to pursue our own healing instead of following the process of God? You just get re-injured and re-injured and re-injured, and then all of a sudden you start to give up. Here's what the process of God looks like. Following the commands of God. Forgiving. Loving yourself and the people who have hurt you and harmed you. And that doesn't mean you have to be reconciled into a perfect new relationship, but that you can have healing in that process to trust the Lord, to release things that you need to let go of, that you can't handle and that God needs to handle for you, to hope again, to believe again, to give again, and to have gratitude again. Because here's the truth about healing. Little theology. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are made new and we are healed. We are a new creation according to Corinthians. So here's the deal. You're healed. We're just in the process of discovering it. In Christ, you are healed. You are whole. You are new. We are in the process of discovering it. And this process of discovery looks a lot like what God does here. He provides space and protection for you to realize the gift that's already yours in Christ. You are healed. And we know that one day, according to the book of Revelation, that there will one day be no more sorrow and no more pain, no more tears, for everything like this has been washed away. But do you believe in this room that in Christ you are healed? You're healed. And some of us in this room need to start peeling back the layers of our life, following the process of God to discover the healing that's already there. Because where is the place that we're all headed? To the mountain with God. That's your horizon. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's your future. That's where we're headed. It's already there. It's a yes and not yet, right? But in reality, in Christ, you have all the healing. We just need to discover it. And he's not the God who sews you up. He's the God who makes you whole. And so, last question. Are you believing in who you are in Christ? Are you believing in the gift that he's given you? And we no longer have to bow down and give in to all of these thoughts and these hurts. And I know some of it feels impossible, but let me give you a good word on hurt and how it can be healed. By his wounds, we are healed. By his stripes and by what he took on for us, he healed and he saved us. And if you're in this room and you don't know what to do in this moment, how to respond, Cody's gonna come up, is this. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the healing that we just talked about is not yours yet. You have to believe and confess in who he is. Trust that he lived for you, that he died for you, and he rose again, conquering sin and death, which is the things that bring so much hurt into your life. And when we do that, we are healed and declared righteous and holy in that moment. And now that we are in the process of discovering that healing and that love that we have, that's yours, you just gotta take hold of it. And the way that you and I take hold of that is through faith. 
is to believe in the process and in the trust in what God proposed for us. And so if you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, that's the next step on the lit up path. But if you are in this room and you've trusted in Jesus a long time ago, but some of us are just have lost our gaze because those hurts and those things, they scream, but God whispers. And you've heard me say it before. Why does God whisper? Because he's always near. He doesn't need to shout. And he whispers through his word and through his church and through his people. And I know that we are not perfect, but the goodness of God is shown in all of these things. We only need to pursue it. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have hurt in your life with someone in this room, maybe it's time to deal with it. Maybe it's time to say it. Maybe it's time to get it out there. Saying it out loud is what brings it to the light. Don't conceal. What is concealed cannot be healed. We need to let it out, release it, and let it go. So maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to say sorry to somebody. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you need to let go of some of these things. And I know that we feel so righteous in holding on to these things, but God sees it and he is dealing with it just in a way that you didn't think that he would, but he is a good and holy and righteous God and nothing will go unnoticed or unseen or undealt with. And it's either going to be dealt with through the cross or dealt with through punishment and death. And that's the reality. And so how do you need to respond today? The altar up here is open and that just simply is a place where we can come to pray, to have a quiet moment with God. I was down here last night. Maybe you need to go out to the lobby, whatever you need to do today. Let us not forsake and not see and not act upon the healing that is ours in Christ. Church, I love you. I hope that today spoke to you that we believe in the God who heals Jehovah Rapha. And today we need to proclaim that name over our hurt. We need to move forward in our faith. We need to walk towards our healing today for it is ours in Christ alone. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and your truth. And God, today, I pray that the word that you richly put into the scriptures dwells richly in our heart and your Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of it. And that today we will walk forward in our freedom. We will walk forward in our healing for you are Jehovah Rapha the God who heals, the God who makes us whole. And so God, today I pray we're on that next step of the journey of discovering the healing that is ours in you. And Lord, if there's anybody in here who's never trusted in you, never believed in you and believe the fact that all the things that they've done and all the things that have been done to them, that they can have healing in that process, that they can have healing and forgiveness and freedom in you, I pray today that their heart cries out to you for salvation. And there's no special words or anything like that. Lord, that the honesty of their heart will reach out to you today, asking for forgiveness, trusting in what Jesus did for them, that he rose again for them and that they will turn from their sin and they will run towards you. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.